Transportation is a journey connecting us in our everyday lives. This podcast series, TRB's Transportation Explorers, takes you on that journey with meaningful conversations with the experts behind the research. They often have an early eye on how we'll build the transportation of tomorrow. Hi, I'm Elaine Farrell. And I'm Paul Mackey with the Transportation Research Board of the National Academies of Sciences, Engineering, and Medicine based in Washington, D.C. On this episode, we'll explore with Anne Straussweeder, the Director of Freight Planning for the North Jersey Transportation Planning Authority. Anne has more than 40 years of experience with supply chains, economic development, resilience, and multimodal freight movement. She has taught at universities, published numerous papers, and is internationally recognized for her understanding of the freight and logistics industry. Anne is also the chair of the TRB section on transportation system resilience and is the 2022 recipient of the Distinguished Dean Lectureship. Well, welcome, Anne. Thank you so much for being with us for TRB's podcast. And the subject we're talking to you about today is coming at a fascinating time. It was almost overwhelming for Elaine and I to, uh, to condense our questions for you since the supply chain is causing a shortage of so many things right now. Uh, can you summarize what makes this supply ch- chain crisis, if that's even the right word, so complex? And when do you think things will be back to normal? Will it ever be back to normal? And most importantly, what will the upcoming holidays be like? Thank you. Yes, the supply chain is very much in the news. In fact, we've heard about shortages of chicken fingers and cream cheese, but let's not make this a schmear campaign against the freight industry, because indeed supply chains are complex and some of the considerations are complex, but what needs to be done is relatively straightforward. So let me break it into two aspects, things that were going on pre-pandemic and situations that were accelerated by the pandemic. In particular, pre-pandemic wise, the industry was rapidly evolving. We were rapidly evolving as consumers, doing a lot more e-commerce, being a lot more demanding, asking for free shipping, and a lot of response by the private sector in terms of delivering the goods when we want it with increasingly long supply chains. But even pre-pandemic, there were challenges facing the industry, in particular workforce shortages across every aspect of of the uh, supply chain and freight movement areas, a fracturing in world trade that occurred after about 30 years of, of encouragement of world trade, a lot of items going on that fractured it, and resilience. We've gone through a number of situations, even dating back to the World Trade Center blast in, on 9-11 and Fukushima roughly 10 years after that, and more recent storms and fires and hurricanes, and making those supply chains more resilient to disruptive events while introducing all sorts of new technologies. So then 2020, the pandemic hits. And in many respects, it was very much a very, very rapid change in the demand for freight products and services. We all increased our use of e-commerce. Indeed, the definition of e-commerce shifted. It wasn't just packages delivered to our homes. It was gym equipment. It was furniture. It was office supplies. It was toilet paper. 
It was groceries. And at the same time that all those demands went up, including for personal protective gear and everything like that, demand went straight downhill for restaurants and offices. At the same time, because of the pandemic, production locations were closed. So we had a situation where production was offline on certain goods, huge demand up on certain items, huge demand down on certain items, and a supply chain trying to deliver throughout. And in some cases, internationally, with those production facilities offline, the carriers canceled vessel movements. So here we have a situation where we're beginning to emerge from those months with the pandemic. Production is coming online gradually. The vessels are back online. There's this huge pent-up demand for certain products. And again, production is still coming online. And go back to Economics 101, all the raw materials and things needed to make certain goods. And throughout it all, the supply chain pivoting and trying to meet those demands while still tackling some of the issues they had pre-pandemic. So there are a lot of heroes in terms of getting the goods to people. Are there backups? Yes, they're occurring, particularly on the West Coast. And I should note, not all ports are experiencing the kind of, of vessel anchorages that we have seen in the news. For example, the Port of New York and New Jersey has had virtually no vessels at anchor. There are huge efforts that have been going on. And is there an end in sight? Yes, there is. Uh, we've already seen a lot of pivoting uh, in terms of production locations. So if one geography goes offline, this started actually with Fukushima, there are other locations that can pick up that production need. There are efforts always to increase the effectiveness of supply chains. And that's probably one of the reasons that you haven't seen vessels as backed up through the Port of New York, even though the port here on the East Coast which is uh, the third largest after uh, ports of LA and Long Beach in the US have been able to service the vessels, even though they've had a huge increase in the amount of cargo going through. So I think we're looking at some brighter times ahead as we go into 2022. That is an amazingly illustrative description of what's going on. It's great. You should write that as an article in all the publications that will accept it. Um, Come to the Dean Lecture. Oh, there you go. TRB's annual meeting. That sounds like the place to be. Okay, let me ask a, a maybe slightly naive question based on everything you just said. Does that mean that kids on the West Coast are going to have a harder time getting their holiday presents than kids on the East Coast? Not at all. The supply chain always thinks about the customers. And certainly the retailers and the producers want to get those goods to the people who have demanded them. So that's why you've seen a big uptick during the pandemic in air cargo, while you've seen companies ordering a lot more product, which has, again, spiked that demand, to try to get the goods here in time. And savvy uh, parents have been stockpiling those gifts for several months now. So I don't think anyone is going to be lacking during the holiday season. That's good news. And so then we have another layer on top of all of that that's going on in the in the real world. Do you think that the passage of the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act will help fast track the, the supply chain solution in any positive ways? Well, here's the good news about the supply chain being on the news. It is front and center and has everyone's focus. That means 
that this bill really can help. Not only does it help us address legacy infrastructure, because keep in mind, we've been moving goods in the US since colonial times. And a lot of that infrastructure is older and we need to ad adapt it to 21st century needs. So this bill helps that tremendously. And it expands on that infrastructure. It isn't just physical infra infrastructure. It thinks about physical and information infrastructure. We need both. It addresses some of the workforce challenges. So yes, this bill moves us forward in, in a major way, as does the, all the initiatives that have focused on improving uh, the supply chains and the resiliency of those supply chains here in the US. That's good to hear. And switching gears a little bit, I read an article where you were quoted as saying, we have to rebrand truck parking, which I thought was really interesting because I don't think of branding as necessarily a supply chain issue. I think of it more as a communications term. So I was just wondering, what did you mean by the fact that you need to rebrand truck parking and how do you see that helping with supply chain issues? Rebranding is an opportunity to convey the importance of a, of a function or a facility. It's one of the reasons that we don't hear about industrial parks. We think about them as business gateways, it conveys what's going on there. The same thing with truck parking. If we think of truck parking, we're thinking a parking lot. Not a lot happens in a parking lot, but these facilities are absolutely essential for the movement of goods. It is more than a safety factor, and not just a safety factor for the cargo, but very much for the drivers and the driver experience. Parking facilities essentially are, are a place to, to safely stop, to take a bio break, to get food, to fuel up, take care of any minor repairs, and to rest, very importantly. And that means hours of service rules from a federal government level. It also means if, we're, if they're staging, if the drivers are staging, because they're appointments windows for pickup and deliveries, they have a safe place to do so. These type of facilities are also essential in disruptive events, such as snowstorms. Okay, I'm on the road, the storm has hit. Where do I go if existing facilities don't have places for me? So they're very important. So we have to think beyond the term truck parking to think of these as essential facilities. This came up during the early months of the pandemic when the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania shut all their rest areas. Now, even though the hours of service rules have been relaxed, drivers still needed a place to do all those things. So efforts went underway very quickly in New Jersey to make sure that did not happen for the public rest areas, and then was extended out to uh, New York and Connecticut. And then efforts were started immediately in Pennsylvania to convey the importance of rest areas and truck parking to make sure the goods got to where they were in a safe manner for those drivers. That really speaks to the importance of the workforce and finding ways to incentivize truck drivers and, and freight workers to, to really want to do a great job. Sort of on the other end of that spectrum, I have to ask you about autonomy. Even before the pandemic, automated vehicles was becoming a hot topic in, in the transportation world. And so with the combination of a shortage of truck drivers and the backup at ports, how could autonomous technology on the roads and in port loading operations ramp up and, and help immediately? So let's first talk about the types of automation. There are two types. 
there is automation that replaces workers, and there's automation that changes the nature of the job. And what we're really seeing is that second type, automation that improves the job for the worker and for productivity. So for example, at a terminal here in the New York, New Jersey area, GCT Bayonne, instead of longshoremen having to climb up 85 steps in all sorts of weather and lean over in terms of moving containers and getting them ready to, to put on a truck, that's now semi-automated. So in the evening, the computers are setting up all the containers in order for the truck appointments. When it's time to lower the container onto the truck, the last few feet, that's handled by the same longshoreman, but not up in a cab, but in an office setting, controlled environment, and they're handling it on a computer. Their job experience is vastly improved. The safety's improved. Even just the ergonomics are improved. Uh, they're in a nice office setting and it hasn't changed the number of workers. It's changed the job experience. So in terms of automation, a lot's been happening. And actually, if you want to get a taste of where things are going in the overall supply chain in terms of automation, first stop in a distribution center because they're usually five or 10 years ahead of it. But within the supply chain, three types. There's aerial drones that have come into play during the pandemic. For example, UPS teamed up with CVS uh, to deliver prescription uh, medications to the villages in Florida. Uh, we see more of those, that drone technology, Zipline and Walgreens uh, teaming up uh, in the Midwest. We see some of that on autonomous vehicles or semi-autonomous as well. And we'll see how that plays out in certain areas. And then we have the sidewalk robots that you see emerging, particularly on college campuses for delivering product. Again, trying to improve the experience for the customer and improving the experience for the people trying to deliver the goods when they have to in the manner of customer. You've already mentioned a lot of interesting things that's going on in the supply chain field, particularly in New Jersey. You mentioned the automation and the rest stops. Is there anything else that New Jersey is doing to make the supply chain work more effectively that perhaps other states and maybe even other countries can learn from? Well, let's take two examples from the pandemic. First, we even go back as far as Superstorm Sandy. Superstorm Sandy hit our region in 2012, and it significantly affected the port. At the same time, everyone came together, labor, management, public sector, private sector, all the modes. What did it take to get back online quickly? Because it was the peak of the peak of the peak. Everyone worked together. Within four or five days, the port's back up and running and everything is moving. Everyone pulled together. Out of that came the council on port performance, which has met regularly. I'm a member of it, as are a number of organizations, to proactively think through the issues at the port. And instead of focusing on there's an issue. It's focusing on what do we need to do to resolve it? What do we need to do to gain market share, to do a better job at moving the goods for our customers, for the people that work there, for all the modes? So when the pandemic hit, the Council on Port Performance moved very, very quickly to meeting more frequently and dealing head on with items. For example, as early as February of 2020, 
the Council on Poor Performance was talking about an anticipated surge in activity when the pandemic ended. And we started seeing that at the end of 2020 and certainly into 2021, we've, we've seen it all over the place. But people were thinking about it ahead of time. Companies were thinking about it. Labor was thinking about it. Everyone thought through all the way down to contacting uh, warehouses and distribution centers, figuring out how to make things work. So that's collaboration, that's coordination, that's communication. Those three C's are the way of doing that. Also within New Jersey, very early on during the pandemic, a group was formed at the governor's level and with the New Jersey uh, Economic Development Authority taking the lead, looking at food and logistics, knowing how critical that was for communities, for people, and ensuring that people got their food. And it wasn't just to supermarkets or to people's homes. It was thinking through individuals and food recipient programs, individuals uh, who rely on food banks. The food banks were part of this. All the Moser part of this. This is where the truck rest area situation came up and was resolved. So again, working in groups, bringing everyone together, that coordination, the collaboration and communication, and making it happen. So thinking it through, working together, that's how we've worked our way through our latest massive disruptive event. That sounds really interesting and, and a difficult problem to solve, but it sounds like you all were successful. You mentioned collaborating kind of in a state level and in, uh, in a local level. And of course, the federal government has to collaborate too with various agencies. So if you had a moment to speak with Secretary Buttigieg and Joe Biden, let's say you're in an elevator with them, you have maybe a minute to uh, ask them something. What do you think you would tell them? Do you have priorities that you would like them to focus on regarding the supply chain? I'll start by mentioning that the efforts I just discussed New Jersey undertaking were not limited just to the state of New Jersey. They were multi-jurisdictional beyond being public-private and multimodal. It was working across state lines and realizing that we were all in it together. So that's probably the message, if I had the honor of a few minutes with the secretary or the president, that that collaboration and the coordination and the communication, that's the way of tackling issues. That's the way of seizing opportunities, meeting the challenges and really moving forward. And I think that's what we're seeing at the federal level as well. Well, let's switch gears, Anne. How did you become interested in transportation and, and maybe, you know, maybe you became interested in transportation playing with uh, toy boats when you were a kid? You could take it back that far or you could bring it a little further into your, uh, as you got older. And also, how did you become interested in freight planning specifically? Well, you're not far off. That was much bigger than a toy boat. When I was very young, we went to Europe on the Queen Elizabeth. So I developed my sea legs very early and really developed a love for transportation from the experience of going transatlantic, not just on the Queen Elizabeth, but on a number of the rather majestic uh, ocean liners that used to, to ply across the North Atlantic. And in so doing, getting a sense of ports, other vessels we passed, a submarine at one time, and a few other items along the way. So already an interest in transportation, just from being part of that, that incredible uh, time period. But then I became very interested in how communities work, and my degrees are in regional science. And part of how communities work, how economies work, 
is the transportation required to, to allow all that to happen. And that's how I got interested in freight. I was involved with freight and passenger. When I was in college, I worked at Conrail. Yes, you could say I'm an ex-con. And it did put me on track to, to really become a, a freight professional. And eventually, after leaving college, working for the Port Authority and then getting involved with the private sector. And so I've had a very long career involved with supply chains and the freight industry. And along the way, have met so many inspirational people and, and seen how everyone has been able to achieve so much with all the changes that have occurred over the decades. Sounds like you have a fascinating career and you have a lot of wisdom to impart. So I just have one more question, which is, is there anything else you would like to add? There's so much more that's happened. We have a very rich history in this country even going back as uh, Alexander Hamilton, yes, that Alexander Hamilton, who looked at the, at the new country and said, we need an industrial base. So in the 18th century, he set up the first industrial park. So if you ever visit the Great Falls in Patterson, New Jersey, you will find a statue of Alexander Hamilton, who set up the first industrial park of the new nation in New Jersey. But to really hear more about this topic, I do encourage everyone to come and, and join me in, uh, in the Dean Lecture at the annual meeting. Yes, we'll definitely be sure to go ourselves. And for those who don't know, Anne's lecture will take place on Monday, January 10th at 6 p.m. And I believe your lecture is titled Evolving with Rapidly Shifting Supply Chains and Freight Systems, the Past, the Present, and the Emerging Future. Well, Ann Strauss-Weeder, thank you so much for all your hard work as a TRB volunteer and, you know, upcoming at the TRB conference and for all your work in keeping the packages and the products running and getting to all of us. TRB's Transportation Explorers is a production of the National Academies of Sciences, Engineering, and Medicine. Ben Brown composed our theme music. The podcast is produced by Paul Mackey and me, Elaine Farrell, and edited by me. Thanks again for tuning into TRB's Transportation Explorers. We hope you enjoyed our podcast. See you next time on the transportation journey.